welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Welcome everyone to another Div podcast. And today I am joined by two ladies who between them almost define the description of remarkable. Leslie Capliero, Regional Manager, Intermediary Market Development for Barclays and the L Lead for Barclays Spectrum. Joining her is Alika Gutsmore, award-winning financial advisor at Money Sprite and the founder of The Financial Hug. Welcome both. So Leslie, tell us about being the L Lead at Barclays and your journey to get there. Well, Barrett, what an introduction. I don't think I've ever had such an amazing introduction as that, so thank you. I think it's the L Lead at Barclays and my story and how I got there. They're sort of different and intertwined. And I think that over the years, quite a lot has happened. So let me tell you a little bit about myself, where I am now, and I suppose how my journey continues, because I don't believe it's over and I still believe there's a lot to do. So when I was growing up, I sort of knew I was different. Even as a little girl, I I had lots of boys that were friends and I was, I think, more interested in having boyfriends than girlfriends. I left school at 16 and went to college. I wanted to go to university, but my parents were really against that. So I decided not to stay on at school and do further education at school. I wanted to study languages. So I went off to college and I met a girl called Debbie and she was my first love. I was really confused about my feelings. I think most 16 year olds are, but I was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness. So certainly hadn't had any sex education, let alone talk about homosexuality. That was just not discussed at home. I decided to speak to my mum. That was probably the worst decision I ever made. My mum and I didn't particularly get on. I was a bit of a of a daddy's girl, but I think as a girl, you try and go to your mum for most things. When I had this discussion, I was asked to leave home and never talk of this again. And my dad did intercept at this point, and I didn't leave home at that stage, but I did leave home not long after. At 19, I fell pregnant, got married, and everyone was happy because that was a normal thing to do in the mid-80s. I think I'd sort of restored some faith back in my parents. I'd had two children by the time I was 24, was still working full-time in financial services. I've always pretty much worked in financial services. And I carried on until I was about 36. And I knew I was unhappy, I knew I was lonely, I knew that really I had to make the best of the life. I had two young children and they became my focus. But at 36, I met probably one of the first gay women I'd met for a long time at work. And in a very short period of time, I made a decision to leave my husband and my children. It was quite a tough time and I'll try not to get too emotional. 
But I literally lost everything, my friends, my family, my home, everything. But I think it was a really good decision to make because I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't done that. I left the company that I worked for because they were really against me being, and they they bullied me and pretty much forced me to leave. I then went to work for Countrywide, who were absolutely amazing. They accepted me for who I was and were absolutely fantastic. I met my then wife while I was at Countrywide. So in 2008, I joined Barclays. I decided to not tell anyone and say anything about who I was or what I was. And because I'd had a pretty bad experience in banking beforehand, so I decided not to say anything, stay in the closet. And in 2009, I got married. I didn't really tell anyone. I told a couple of people at work. I was work Leslie and home Leslie, and that doesn't really make for a great person. And it means if we can't bring our whole selves to work, then how can we be authentic? How can we help our teams develop and thrive? But since being with my wife, who's quite a tough little Italian, she's given me the confidence to speak out and be myself. There's still many challenges. We must consider where we go on holiday. There's still 64 countries where homosexuality is a criminal offence. We can't walk freely down the street holding hands. We've got married twice to ensure we have the same legal rights as same-sex couples. I still get asked at many events, what does your husband do? And I feel like I have to come out almost every day if I meet new people. But life is better. And in Spectrum at Barclays, we look at how we can help people, support people, and how we can make sure we make overall it a better place to be. I think that there's nothing wrong in anyone being curious and asking the right questions. We need to accept that that person may not want to answer all the questions that you ask, but it's important that we feel safe in the workplace. And I think the more that we do to have those conversations and these kind of podcast events talking about it can really, really help. And I think that overall it is better, but there's still a lot more to do, Barrett. That is a a wonderful story. And I think what you went through to be yourself and the fact that, as you said, you sort of at the time felt you'd lost everything. It is just so emotional. Alika, what do you make of, of Leslie's story? I know you've heard it before. But but do you think we are now a a more tolerant and open-minded industry? Yeah, so Leslie's story always evokes the same emotions for me. It's very touching and very sad. Has the industry changed? Are we more tolerant? They're definitely trying, made a lot of headway. But speaking to other people with Leslie's similar story or situation, there's so much more that needs to be done as well to support the people. The guy I was speaking to, he now says it's not an issue with his colleagues, but he chooses very carefully with the clients that he speaks to. Yes, I mean, everybody has to be a bit sensitive, but I do think at industry events, and especially awards dinners and the stuff, we need to move on from making the assumption that a woman of a certain age has a husband and a man of a certain age has a wife. There's just no need to be that obvious and that sort of narrow-minded anymore. If you can't talk about anything else, just shut up and don't say anything. Leslie, what more can we do to make our industry a safe place for people to be who they are and not have to pander to a perception of normality, whatever, 
that normality is. I think the more we talk about it and even having charities supporting our industry events always helps that support their LGBTQ plus community. I think that having almost role models within our industry that feel able to educate, support and give people a safe place to go, I've had this question, how would you answer it? And I think it will really help bring the younger people into our industry because we want to encourage all different people from all walks of life into financial services. It's a fantastic industry to work in and it's not your male dominated industry. We want to ensure that we encourage as many people from different walks of life to work in financial services. And that isn't just a gay woman or a gay man, but how many transgenders do we have working in financial services? How many people of colour do we have working in financial services? And I think it's looking at how do we create that space that allows people from anywhere to think this is a great industry that's open and will work with everybody. How amazing would that be? It would be. And I think maybe, and this idea has just popped into my head, that maybe when we introduce at all our, say, awards events and remind people that there is a conduct of behaviour that they need and everybody needs to feel safe, I think it might be worth mentioning. And please do not assume that everybody you speak to is heteronormative or words like that. So we just say right at the beginning, don't make assumptions about who's on your table and what sexual orientation or race or ethnicity they are. That might also remind people just to say, because I think of three or four of the gay ladies that have been on this podcast, all have said they've had the most stupid things said to them at awards too, like, you don't look like a lesbian. Or what does a lesbian do? It is. And I think the more we can do that, though, and the more we can get people thinking that to just be mindful of their language and just really think about the words that they're using, and that will overall educate people, won't it? And I think the more we can do that, that will just mean that everyone feels safer. Indeed. And I love the little quote on your bio you sent me, the last line which says, I love who I have become. And I thought that was absolutely wonderful. And I can say that many, many people love who you've become, Leslie. You're one of the most popular people in our industry. Thank you. (laughs) Right. So let's move on to another very popular and very wonderful person. Alika, how did you start in financial services? What led you to start the financial hug? It sounds lovely. What exactly is it? Wow. I fell into financial services, I would say. The word retail. So I started in the retail banking industry. I was in a retail Saturday job and working in clothes. And then one Saturday, I decided I don't want to work anymore Saturday. So I thought, oh, if I get a job in the bank, they're closed at the weekends. So that was the initial thought. And then I went in as a cashier, learned loads of stuff and was really interested, moved up to a personal banker. I was quite young. I think that was in my 20s, 21. Left that, went and sampled all different jobs. So I've worked in telesales, insurance, marketing, all different aspects and then finally ended up back in banking and was a personal banker and decided that I wanted to get some qualifications because it was all experience and 
as a black woman experience on its own will not get you anywhere. So I went and did my mortgage exams, passed those, and I was actually working for Barclays at the time. I had my son, was very young, but I found the microaggressions, which I don't know why they're called micro, really, because they're massive. They were too much, like people commenting about me being a single mum, being so young in the job, assumptions that I wouldn't be able to understand the language, even though I was born in East London, that customers may not want to see me. There was loads of things going on. So eventually I left banking, mainly because of the work-life balance. I just couldn't manage it and decided to go solo. I didn't go straight into mortgages, but I did some business consulting and learned some other skills. And then I came back into mortgages. And the first thing that they tell you to do is go and speak to friends, family, your local community. So living in East London, that all sounds wonderful. You go on the courses, you're ready to go, and then you come out into the real world and having a money conversation with my friends, family, or neighbors was just a taboo. How dare you? How dare you speak to me about money? And I was finding it very hard. And the most clients that I got were from referral or old clients that I had from in the bank. But none of them looked like me and it just intrigued me. Why don't we speak about money? Why is it a taboo? Why do we have such lack of trust? And then I started going to networking events as you do to try and promote yourself. And every time I said I was the financial advisor or a mortgage advisor, people would literally, body language would take a step back or move away. So that made me start looking at statistics or mindset around money. And it just kept growing. And then I came up with the financial hug And I realized that when I went to networking meetings and people stepped back and I said, but I give a financial hug, everybody was like, oh, I need to book a one-to-one with you. Everybody wants a hug. And when it comes to money, they're scared, they're apprehensive, trust issues. So just the word hug just made people warm to me and come closer. And then I did a survey of my clients and friends and asked them to describe me in five words. And three words jumped out at me, which was honest, unique, and genuine. And that spells hug. And that's literally how it started back in 2011, 12. I did some pilot events, still wasn't getting any traction. My client bank was growing and my client bank was 75% white male, even though I was doing women events and I asked the men why, I asked the women why and still. So I started to do afternoon teas. I realized that women are more conversational. They want the information, they want the facts, and they want the time to be able to make the decisions themselves and not rush into things that they just don't understand. So that's how the afternoon teas were born. You've got high teas and higher goals. Predominantly, the ladies that were around me were not homeowners, and the stats back it up. They weren't confident with money. Some of them didn't even have bank accounts. There was a lot of issues. So that's how the financial hug and afternoon tea started. But I mean, you started it in Hackney. And I think you own the stats that you put down. 45% of children live in households with an income of less than 60% of the UK median. 22.2% of Hackney residents are estimated to earn below the living wage in 2021. And so the need for financial education is massive and I think what you did to engage people is great but it's worked amazingly well hasn't it yeah and I have quit after every single event I'm not doing it again it's really hard but it was a belief system that I had I didn't imagine where it would grow to or how I would grow inside that so as a result I went off and did some counseling qualifications because I realized money is never about money somebody could come to you to remortgage their house or buy a new house it's off the back of a divorce 
it's off the back of a new baby, a change of job. So there's always other emotional things going on in the background. And then there's the people who don't have the money management. And as the stats you've just said, Hackney has, it's a split borough because you have a rich side and you have a poor side, but it's intertwined. So it was more about upskilling people. So I went off and did a national qualifications to become a money mentor and a trainer. And then I combined everything together and we're here now. But in the beginning stages, the industry was the hardest push because I was told by my peers that I was wasting my time. I was spending too much energy with people who would never be able to buy house or just the wrong clientele. My figures weren't up to spec, but I was busy and I was discouraged so much. I was discouraged a lot and told that the wrong sort of people, I want to go uptown. But then those clients didn't want to speak to me because I was a black female. So it was a catch 22 and I just persevered because each event, clients get to spend two, three hours with me in a room. They get to know my personality. They get to hear my expertise, my skills. I give it my all in that room. So from there, people are confident to come forward and talk to me about their money, their situations. They might not be ready to buy a house, but I have seen people go from being on benefits to being homeowners to then going on to be landlords. So I've watched a transformation with clients over six, seven years. People's paid off their debt. So for me, the rewards was always the change in life and what it was impacting on people over and above what the money was coming in but persevering that actually changes become beneficial for me and it's given me other interest because <laughs> I love a statistic so try and always work against the narrative with this and just encourage and motivate people but it's interested what's happened in going out and doing it it was always called we are amazing women I advertise to women because my heart is for women regardless what color creed race religion they are but somehow the majority of the women that have come to the event are black so it looks as though it's a black event but it was never started that way and the stats that I use are for women in general because we have so many money issues or gaps that need to be discussed. I think what you've done is just amazing and, and I really think more people should do it because the big successful networks are talking about client nurture as a very important part of the future of mortgage broking and actually I don't think anybody I've met in 30 years in mortgages has actually nurtured their clients better than you have. Leslie you know about Alika what's your view on, on Alika's initiative and progress? I think it's amazing and it's great to see somebody being really persevering with something they're so passionate about and a bit like Alika I started in retail worked in retail banking and have done counselling as well because I think when you work in financial services you do a lot of counselling and I wanted to be a leader, slightly different to a leader. And I was told, you can't be a lesbian leader. It don't exist. And I was like, okay. And I think that as women, we go through so much and I've never been one to say, you know, because I'm female, I haven't done or haven't had. But I think there are so many challenges. And what Alika has done is looked at how she can support women in a different way. And to be financially astute, even if you haven't got a lot of money, it means you can just be more aware. And we do so little around financial security 
how to manage your money and anything we can do for that is just amazing and I think that she has done a great I was actually um, looking at her website last night and thinking wow this is fantastic and the amount of work that she puts into it and who doesn't love a hug <laughs> yeah it's a labor of love the website I've worked tirelessly on now and it is attracting people and giving them information I think it's just a checking point more than anything else but people really do need nurturing and this year when the consumer credit act came out and all this talk about vulnerable clients and nurturing and I was reading the materials I was like oh that's what I've been doing for years so yeah it's rewarding <laughs> no it's great work I'd like to just discuss a little bit more about the negative side and, and how discouraged you were Alika because you're not the first female colored mortgage broker who has said to me that they have just not been supported and Leslie you as well in your own way what does that sort of feel like how do you sort of overcome that it's not on and it's something that we fundamentally have to change and we have to go out to change that because the kind of people that have those entrenched views probably are not the people that are going to be listening to a diff podcast so just tell me how you overcame that alika and how that felt do you know what i think a lot of the time is people don't actually know that they've got the biases and they don't actually know what they're putting out and some of our processes and policies and system are set up to fail so they're gonna inadvertently just end up saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or thinking one way so i've been in the industry for 20 years i passed mortgages exams in 2005 and back then it was coming out of the you should put on a suit and walk around doorsteps and knock doors so what's happening is people are coming with different ideas they're being innovative they're being creative with what they want to do and because it's not the normal or they don't look like the person or they don't speak like the person automatically they think it's going to be a failure so when people have a fear of something that they don't know they will react and I think that's what it is now because a lot of the people that did discourage me in the early days have come back and congratulated me for keeping on and actually turning it around. It looks like an afternoon tea on the surface, but when you see the work that goes into it and the detail and the expertise that's there, then it changes the whole scope because then they were realizing the levels that have gone into it and the information that the people were getting. It's using all different sources of information. So for me, it was more about you don't overcome because it's there. I will only overcome when it's stopped, but you grow into it. And if you've got your personal goals and dreams, you are going to dig deep and ignore it. And unfortunately, I don't think I felt a way as a woman as much as I have as a black woman, because there's loads of initiatives for women in financial services, but then the color aspect is just ignored. So I could go to a conference for women and there'd be 500 women in the room and there will only be one or two black people so that stands out a lot there'll be a few Asians so that's where it is is coming from the recruitment our advertising we're not showing diverse people and then when they are coming in we're definitely not supporting them in what they feel they need to do for their client bank and that's what needs to change really so for me I just dug in nights of crying tears as I said, I've given up loads of time, but it was the only way and it was working. I do an event, I get clients, 
I needed to make money to fulfill my goals and dreams. So I think it was more of a personal push than anything in the industry. And I have had some really good allies and people that have seen the gem in me and encouraged me. They believed in me before I believed in myself. And that's always fantastic. I'm a great believer in passing on. So many people that have been on our Trailblazer podcast have said, these people saw something in me and helped and I've now become this. And I think it's down to everybody and allyship. I know it's a big thing at Barclays, but it should be a big thing everywhere. And at first it's really hard. I've been in companies where I've been the only female and I've been the only person of colour. That has been alienating because they might have an 8.30 meeting and I say, oh, I can't attend because I've got to take my son to nursery. Oh, can't your partner take him? What's the problem? You're never going to succeed. So it's nice now to hear parental rights have changed and to see people more flexible. But my son's 21 now. That wasn't a thing back then. I was made to feel like a failure. And Leslie, how did you sort of overcome this sort of ignorant negativity. I'm super stubborn and I think when I was younger I was very sort of meek and mild and wouldn't stand up for myself and then as I got older I just thought well I can carry on being like this or I can do something about it and when I actually did my counselling training that really helped me because that gave me something to really focus on and I can remember the lady that did the training at the time, she really drummed into us that we couldn't help others and we couldn't expect others to love us until we loved ourselves. And she was the real inspiration for me. Not anyone at work, just something I did outside of work for me to go, do you know what, I can do this. And, and when I first started in financial services when I was 18, which was more years ago than I'd like to mention, I knew I wanted to be a leader. I had a great manager at the time. He was not a great guy because he made us put red lipstick on and sit on the counter to sell, but some of his qualities were good. And I just thought, you know what, I can do that and I want to be that person. Now, it took me a while to get there because people were like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be a leader. You've not got the right qualifications, but I am stubborn and I carried on and fought and here I am today, leading a great team. You are both fantastic human beings and great role models. But I think in an ideal world, I don't think women, whether they're black or brown or white or gay, need to be exceptional in order to get on. I think we need to aim for the fact there's so many really average males. Why do all the women have to be exceptional to be at an equal level with them? That's one of the things I think from a DNI and DIF perspective, it would be, yeah, when that happens, we know we look, we have got somewhere. I'm keen to explore, you've both brought up, and I think it's a fantastic thing, and I didn't know that you'd both done it, is the importance of counselling, maybe not necessarily a counselling qualification, but some understanding of the structures and techniques of counselling combined with financial services and specifically mortgage advice. It's almost like there should be something on CMAP because you're right, it's an emotional home buying, whether you're doing it for the first time or as a result of a divorce or as a result of losing somebody, there's so much emotional attached to it. If you can't deal with or have some techniques to deal with that emotion, you're either missing a trick or you're not doing your job properly. How often, Alika, do you use the techniques that you learned in your counselling course 
in everyday working life? Every day, <laughs> literally every day. And the reason why I went into counselling was because of mortgages. When I started the training that I had, if you're fact finding right, so there is a line in the intermediary. So there's people who process applications and there's people that advise their clients, I would say. So if you're fact finding and you're trying to pull out those soft facts and in the early days you were allowed to disturb your client, you're not allowed to do that now. So you had to pull out soft facts and if you're doing it correctly, you are going to evoke emotions, you're going to send the person into deep thought and with questioning you need to know how to deal with that. So I think the counselling was more a case of learning listening techniques, how to question, how to open, how to answer open questions. And for me, it was always about signposting because if somebody comes to see me about a mortgage, there's so many things that we're going to cover. We're going to cover the house. We're going to cover the family. We're going to talk about protection. We're going to talk about death. You could pull up so many memories and thoughts and it's always good to be able to listen and be able to signpost that person to the right place. And I think the counselling qualifications or training that anybody does, it also trains you on how to let go of that and how to deal with it yourself because you can take on a lot of stress from clients and you're in a stressed environment of sales and that could have a knock-on effect for yourself. So I think like Leslie said, when I did that, I started to understand myself and how I fit in and how I could deal with difficult situations and like Leslie I'm very stubborn if you tell me I can't that's the thing I'm going to go and do so yeah I think with my clients I'm using it on a daily basis and I do life coaching as well and Leslie I mean it seems to me that so understanding and counselling is almost a competitive advantage isn't it it is because it allows you to listen and listen really carefully and listen to also the underlying comments or even body language that people use. And I think that we're very quick to come to some solution, offer guidance without really listening. And if you learn that ability to listen, you will learn so much more and you will start to understand everybody around you, which means that if you're giving advice, the overall advice that you give should end up being better. And for me as a leader, it just means I really understand my people. And I spend a lot of time talking, understanding and getting them to be the best they can be because that's overall better for everyone, isn't it? It is. Well, it's been a complete joy speaking to both of you two. My last question would be, what more could the industry be doing to bring financial literacy to underrepresented groups? But I think you've sort of answered that. And one of the main things we could do is just get more Alikas and Leslies in our industry because it just make the industry a better place and probably the world a better place. Thank you both very much. I do want to end with something that Alika puts on her website, which is laugh often, laugh loudly, but most importantly, laugh at yourself. And to the fantastic Alika and Leslie, thank you very much and see you next time. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.